A reading from Hebrews. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order Melchizedek. A reading from John. Now among those who went to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said, it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Word and words, O God, may you, the living word, reveal in our hearts and minds your calling to us all in this moment of shared word and words. Amen. It's the fifth week of Lent, and whether you have been engaging in practices of giving up or letting go or maybe even taking on additional spiritual disciplines, or if you've just been worshiping with us as we make this journey towards the cross, it's been a difficult road. We've talked about wilderness, about taking up our cross and following Christ, about shaping ourselves through remembering, and last week, the art of dying well. We've been invited to consider ourselves within the wider community, encouraged to repent, and we've engaged in communal prayers of confession each week. Lent is a time of transformation, a season to look within, to remember why it is that we need 
the unending grace of God and the everlasting love of God. To see the wilderness of hurt and mess inside and to ask for redemption and reconciliation. As we look towards next Sunday, which is our chance to retell the story of both celebration and palms and also the trial and death of Christ, we're met today with an opportunity to once again look within and repent, to be changed and transformed by the message and life of Christ. Richard Rohr, a Franciscan friar who many know as a modern-day Christian mystic, sorry, says, transformation is impossible without great love and great suffering. If you want new life, then you have to give yourself over to love completely, which causes you to suffer. This has been the quote that is echoing through my mind as I meditated on these passages this week. It's a hard truth, a difficult truth, one we may not want to hear. A pop quiz, so far this year, I have gotten to preach, including today, on all three of the instances that God speaks aloud in the Gospels. What was the first one? Katie's got it. Phone a friend, right? Baptism. The next one was the transfiguration on the mount when God spoke down and said, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And now today, this passage from the book of John, where God speaks to the crowd, speaks to Jesus and to the crowd there. If you remember, the voice of God being present is something that confirms Jesus' identity, but also catches our minds and points to God doing something new, draws our attention to the passage, and causes us to listen. I wonder, though, how often in our own experiences of encountering God, are we more like the crowd They heard God speak from heaven, and some of them said, Oh, it's just thunder. That wasn't anything to pay attention to. Others said, Oh, it's an angel speaking to Jesus. Those words aren't for me. When God reveals God's self to us in such a deep or authentic way, the equivalent of speaking out, it's almost as if we can't hear it because it's too much too miraculous, too big to grasp, or just too difficult for us to acknowledge or really experience. Or maybe we think God's speaking to someone else because we're afraid that if we really encounter God, we're going to have to change and live a new life. And that fear is real because when we meet God, we have to change. We are transformed. Being present during the labor of childbirth is intense. And here's looking at y'all in the crying room who've been through it recently. But parents, whether biological or adopted, y'all know the real risk that it takes to foster and raise a child. The risk of being able to encourage and guide and even correct, but not knowing how things will turn out. 
The labor process to welcome a new baby into this world is hopefully all of that wrapped up in a few short hours of immense pain. I'll never forget my sister, pregnant with twins, after her and her husband decided for just one more to add to their family of five. The growing anticipation and love as we looked forward to these two baby boys, but also that thought of her saying, what did I get myself into? As her belly grew twice as fast and her ankles swelled twice as much and the nausea never relented. Or maybe even in the birth of my older niece, Riley, My sister wanted to have a natural childbirth, drug-free, and in labor she was making it through okay with the contractions even though she was in great pain until it came for the point for the final pushes. It was in that moment of greatest pain that she wanted to give up, to say, never mind, I'll take those meds now. But so often at that point, it's too late The medications won't have time to take effect, and this is the moment of greatest agony. She screamed out and just couldn't push through it, and this is when I remember the nurse getting right in her face and saying, stop it. Take all that screaming and push through this pain and deliver this baby that you want so much. This moment in childbirth, this height of pain and agony, is called transition. The greatest love and the greatest suffering in this moment of transitioning and welcoming new life. Transition and childbirth is a messy and beautiful image of the love and suffering of atonement. How might this image change the way that we think about salvation? or even invite us into new ways to think of salvation as revealed in this passage in John. The beauty of our rich Christian tradition, and even being a church like McLean Baptist where we have different opinions, is that there are many understandings of salvation and atonement found in scripture. The younger adult class took a whole semester to just skim the top of five of these theories. And the gift of our community is that we can gain insight from each of them. If you were to read the Gospel of Mark, you probably couldn't draw a parallel between the crucifixion and childbirth. But if you think about Matthew's Gospel with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying tears and sweating blood, asking for God to deliver him from this suffering and agony, Or even today in the passage that was read by Stan, when Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. He doesn't deny the reality of suffering. He says, here's where I am, in pain and in agony and fearful, but I give it to you because I know that there is a blessing coming on the other side. Is this what we're called to as well? To not avoid the pain and emotions of our suffering, but to push into that transition because of the risk of something beautiful found there. There's a saying, 
If you're going to hurt, hurt for the right reasons. So often we ignore our hurt or try and numb it and focus on something else. But what if we approach hurt asking to hurt for the right reasons? Maybe to hurt because you're standing up for justice or just because you're taking a risk to deeply love others. But sometimes that pain is just an invitation to see that something is wrong. Maybe we shouldn't try and numb our discomfort or our grief when we see things happening in the world or in the lives of others we know. But maybe we should push into that pain and look for ways that love of God and love of other meet there and call us into greater action. Jesus says, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. And the voice is giving authority to his command to us as those listening in this modern-day crowd, too. Those who love their life will lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it in eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. This is the atonement in the Gospel of John. The way that we think of salvation and atonement tells us so much about how we see God and how we understand our own relationship with God. Christian Pyatt sums it up in his book, Surviving the Bible, which is a set of devotions for 2018, saying, If we only talk strictly about life after death salvation, we risk focusing on the future and not addressing the needs of the present. If we focus only on salvation in the forms of reconciliation and social justice, we risk risk robbing our service of the necessary spiritual practices that undergird it. If we focus only on personal salvation, We neglect our accountability to the greater society. And if we only talk of collective salvation, we can rest in broad we statements and not take personal responsibility. Salvation is not simply another wish on our list to God, but salvation is a collaborative mandate with mutually binding responsibilities. In this passage, Salvation takes the shape of Jesus' crucifixion and suffering, judging the world and casting out the ruler of the world. World here, cosmos in Greek, can more be described as the system, the cycle that is driving interactions and cause and effect in this world. The ruler of this world is that force within the system, and the force is one of destruction and violence and death. Those in Jesus' time swam in the system of the Roman Empire, driven by exploitation of conquered people, held together by violence. It's easy for us to look back and see the need for the coercion and violence to be cast out of this system. But it's not so easy for us to look at the own water we swim in. 
What's the system of our day? Right now, we might agree that we see violence in the world around us. I came of age in the wake of Columbine and the mass shootings have continued. People are dying in the world from war, from genocide, from poverty, from lack of resources. But is there more than just these obvious precipitations of the violent force of destruction? I think of my prayer life in these past months, and even Katie invited us in the, led, and led us in the pastoral prayer in something similar. I'm so often praying to shape what I believe myself rather than asking God for something that I need. I pray, God, you taught us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Help me to be able to face violence with something other than desiring revenge. And when we ask ourselves to consider something other than the death penalty, so often we come up with, let them suffer in prison longer. Let them experience and feel the pain of their victims but that still rings with the same cord of violence that caused the hurt. The fact that so many of us genuinely have issues trying to imagine something different and genuinely desiring it shows just how enmeshed we are in this system of violence, even today. I think of the words that we'll hear on Good Friday. Jesus speaking to Pilate and says, If my kingdom were of this world, of this system, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. It's this, Jesus' rejection of violence, that shows the sharp contrast between his way and the way of the system. This is the cross in John. Jesus publicly judging the system, exposing it for what it is, a violence of destruction, and even putting to death that which is greatest love poured out for us. But suffering is not something to be glorified, not something to proclaim as righteous, and not something God does to us. And I repeat that, it is not something God causes to happen to us. Suffering is not something to look up to or to hold up as something that makes us holy or worthy. We are all already holy and worthy through Christ coming, being with us, and suffering with us. Jesus suffers as a way to expose the cycles and also to offer us authentic relationship, even while we are still in this system. In the Hebrews passage, we hear the reminder that Jesus, even in the days of his flesh, offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus suffered not just for us, but like us and with us. It's in Jesus as fellow sufferer that the barrier to relationship is removed. God does not bypass the suffering because God could. 
but God enters into it willingly. Anyone who's been to a 12-step meeting knows the routine. Hi, my name is Meg, and I'm a... Insert struggle, addiction, relationship to an addict. And the room responds, Hi, Meg. It's not just a formality, but that is a moment of acute connection. Because around that room, everyone who greets that person greets them and is saying, I've been there too. There's only so much connection that we are capable of when we haven't had the same experience of suffering as someone else, and especially if there is a power or privilege difference. As much as I try and connect with the unhoused individuals in our community, I still go home to a warm bed and a roof over my head. We may have compassion for a refugee family, but we haven't fled the country of our home because of violence or war. I may try and empathize with the discrimination faced by my African-American or gay friends, but I go home with the privilege of being white and married to a man. But in Jesus, God removes any possible barrier to our connection with God. God strips away that power difference because the suffering of God in this moment and Christ in the crucifixion is just like our suffering. For God came and suffered with us. Throughout the book of John, Jesus says, For my hour has not yet come. Or even the narrator says for him, because his hour had not yet come. And here, in this passage where Jesus finally proclaims that the hour has come, and he speaks of this in the context of this suffering and death, it's in the same scenes that the Greeks are coming, asking to see Jesus. How interesting these themes of connection connection through suffering and of the whole world being brought and drawn into Christ is at this hour of greatest love and greatest suffering. What if that is our witness to the world too? To be authentic in our great love and in our great suffering, to share the realities of our lives with others, to open ourselves up to love and connection through sharing and moving with and through the suffering in our lives and in the whole world. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Transformation from the single grain us defined by our singularity and our differences from one another, we're individuals because the system has taught us that's the best way to avoid pain and suffering. But for transformation to come from the single grain to a plant with full heads of wheat 
that can spread and flourish and grow, it doesn't occur without this great love. And through great suffering, we are transformed and connected to one another. This week, while talking to a couple of congregants, they each said something similar towards the end of our conversation. Well, that's my story of what's going on. Almost saying it as if, I'm sorry I'm laying out all my pain on you. But you see, that's what we're here for as the body of Christ. That's what we are called to do. Katie and I are your pastors. We are called by you to minister with you and minister to you. But that is all of our calls. That's why we call people on the phone. That's why your Sunday school teachers reach out to you. That's why we make visits and support one another. So let's share. Let's connect. Let's let each other know what's going on, what our own sufferings are. Our siblings in the United Church of Christ have a saying that I really like. They talk about groups and people not speaking for the church, but speaking to the church. And what's beautiful is that God never speaks for us having a top-down power telling us what to do. But God speaks to us and waits for us to respond. So God has spoken to us this morning and has said, this is for you. The hour has come and you too must die and suffer to connect and to go to new life. And we have the opportunity to respond So I challenge us, McLean Baptist, to be the church, to be the body of God connected in our experiences and through our sufferings, just as Christ suffered with us. Amen.